this morning, uh, titled the message, uh, Practice Makes Permanent. Um, it's the time of year um, where, you know, often we reflect and some may make resolutions for change uh, in this coming year, right? It's resolutions for exercise, so uh, if you're part of a health club, you'll see the January boom, you know, <laughs> they usually last about two to three weeks. By the end of January, usually things taper off once again. Um, we may make, ah, oh, I'm going to eat healthy this year, and, and that lasts maybe for a little while until, uh, you know, the large piece of carrot cake is there, and you're just like, oh, that tasted so good. I know I shouldn't have a second, but, you know, it's carrot cake, so it's kind of healthy, so I'll have a second or third or whatever there. Or you're looking towards the future and your career goals and you're saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do to enhance my future with whatever organization you may be working for or if you're self-employed on your own. Um, it's time of year where we say, you know, this is the year where I'm going to learn that instrument or I'm going to become more fluent in that language. And, uh, you know, that, all those are, those are good things to move towards. But the reality is... Um, most of that uh, oftentimes, you know, by mid-year is kind of, well, you know, maybe next year that'll be a good thing to hope for. And even scriptures recognize this. In Philippians, Paul says, you know, I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm pressing on towards, towards what's ahead. And, and then my question is, well, what, what is Paul pressing on towards? What is that thing that, that motivated him to change? And uh, I'm going to read a few verses, um, and this morning we're going to be uh, talking about kind of a preliminary view of some of these practices that hopefully will help us transform. And we began this last year, and we started and we looked at two practices as we're looking at Jesus and saying what were the things that he actually did in his life that seemed to be transformational for him. Because I think a lot of us, you know, we come to Christ and the gospel in our country is often presented as, okay, this is your ticket to heaven. You know, pray this prayer, you know, say this thing and you're good to go. You got your ticket to heaven. And then it's kind of like, okay, moving on to the next person. And it's like, okay, what do we do in the meantime? I've got my ticket to heaven, but, you know, okay. I guess I can just do what I want to do at this point in time. And that's where a lot of people live, that I got my ticket to heaven, so that's okay. You know, and it's like, okay, I very much believe that we are saved by grace through faith, that it is that one moment where God regenerates us, where we're called reborn or born from above, where his spirit takes up residence in us when we acknowledge our need for God and acknowledge that Christ is the way. But I think that's just part of what the gospel is. And I've been recognizing this as I go through Matthew, and as we go through Matthew, it says Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And I'm thinking about that, and it's like, okay, Jesus is preaching the gospel, and he has not yet died and been resurrected. So what was the good news that he was preaching? He was preaching the good news that, okay, the kingdom is coming, and the kingdom is here now because I am the king. And all of that is the good news. We're part of this amazing story that began all the way in the garden. And because of our own individual desire to do what we want, we live in a fallen, broken world. But God wants to restore that world. And, and the amazing thing as you look through the Old Testament, it's story after story of failure. 
You think, oh man, this is going to be the start of something new, you know? And it's like, wow. And then it's like, I just read through the, the story of Noah, and, you know, it's like, okay, Noah's a righteous dude. Then he gets off the ark and, you know, plants a vineyard, has a little too much to drink. And, you know, it's like, oh, it's not Noah. And then it's like, well, maybe it's David. And, oh, it's not David. He blew it, you know? And then it's like, everybody that you think is going to be that one that's going to bring this reformation, this kingdom, this this rule of God to the world falls miserably, but then you get to Christ. And Matthew presents Christ as he is the one that is here to bring the kingdom. And he's calling us when we embrace him in trust and faith to live beginning now as citizens of the kingdom. You know, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And we hear eternal life and we, we hear, okay, that's life when I get to heaven. But if you look at Scripture, eternal life, it's that quality of life that belongs to eternity, that belongs to the kingdom. And God is calling us now, all of us as believers, to begin to live an eternal life kind of life. And that's what we've been going through in the Sermon on the Mount. This, This is what citizens of my kingdom are to look like. I'm calling you to live as changed people in the midst of this world. We see this over and over in the writings of the New Testament. In Romans 8.29, it says, we're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We're not just predestined to, okay, we're going to get to heaven one day, but the process, God's destiny for us as people is to be molded and shaped to become more and more like Jesus, not just then, but beginning now. In Galatians 4.19, Paul says that he's in anguish like the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in these people. I want to see Christ formed in you. I want the form of Christ to be your form. Obviously, not looking like Christ, but the character of Christ as he walked through this world to be noticeable in your life as well. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, Beholding the glory of the Lord... We are being transformed into the same image. What's that image? The the glory of the Lord, the image of the Lord from one degree of glory to another. And so what is Paul saying there is, is that we are to be transformed into the glory of the Lord, but that's a process. It goes from one degree to the next. So the goal of the gospel is not just forgiveness so we get our ticket to heaven. The goal of the gospel is for us to become little Christ. That's what Christian meant at first. It was a, a term of derision. It's like, oh, there's the little Christ. It's like, yeah, that's awesome if we would be derided for, for being little Christ. And that's, to me, the goal of the gospel. It's much more than just a ticket to heaven, but it's my life transformed in the here and now to live more and more shaped by the image of Christ. Paul says something radical in Ephesians 4.24. He says this, this is why we're created. Okay, listen to this. We are created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now that's just, we can just blow over that. Like, oh yeah, yeah, that sounds pious. But we are created to be like God. That's, we are created in the image of God and because of the fall and the brokenness of our lives and the world, that image is tarnished. But when God comes into our lives by the Holy Spirit when we trust Christ he begins this process of restoration of our hearts so that that image of God so 
that we become like God. Obviously not in all of God's attributes, but in those character attributes that God wants us to reflect, where he says here, true righteousness and holiness. When you hear those words, how do they impact you? Does it sound like, uh, that's a church cliche, sounds great, but, you know, you're not living in my world. I've got to walk through this life. I've got coworkers that are pain in a particular area of my body and other people that are just challenging to live with. You don't know what my household is like, what my neighbors are like. I just, I can't live like this. Or maybe it's a lofty goal that you have maybe once or twice before said, this is what I'm, this year I'm going to be like Jesus. And you crank it up and you're just like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then like many other good notions, you realize that your will and your effort uh, last for a little while, but not too long. And as I look out at our culture and as I've looked at my own life as well, I realize how often formative our culture is in shaping my desires, my character, who I am, a lot more than I'll often recognize, you know? In Romans 12, Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. And we live in a world that is constantly pouring messages into us, forming us, shaping us, conforming us, to say, you know where life is found? Life is found in that next relationship. That's where life is found. Or life is found in that next step up on the ladder. Or life is found in that next house, or next car, or next designer kitchen, or next awesome experience as you go hang gliding off the Alps. Or what, there's, there's life that's out there, and that's where you're gonna find life. And we live in a time where, and this is kind of unique in history, that for the first time, anything that a human being feels, we can't say that's bad. Because that would be repressing that person, right? All throughout history, regardless of your culture, humans have realized, you know, there's certain desires that I have that are good, and then there's other desires in me that are not so good. And I need not to focus on those desires, but we're living in a day and age where, man, everything has got to feel good, and if it feels good, and as long as it, quote, doesn't harm anybody else, I'm all for it. And to me, that's the forming of our culture. And so when we approach Christianity, I think we feel, okay, I've come to Christ, and then I just need to be changed, right? Jesus, change me, right? I want to be transformed while binging on Netflix, okay? That, that's how I want my transformation to take place. But as you look in scriptures, you recognize that transformation often requires effort on our part. And oftentimes, as Protestants hear that word effort, it's like, whoa, he's moving into legalism. You know, we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. And I'm not talking about what makes us acceptable to God. I'm talking about this process of our becoming more like Christ. And in that process, we are called to participate. And so, to me, what I want to look at this morning is what brings about kind of permanent, lasting transformation in our lives. And the first point I want to make is that lasting or permanent transformation takes time. And this is not something that in our instant culture we are likely to hear very much. Um, this is a book by Dallas Willard called The Spirit of the Disciplines. I'd 
Highly recommend it. It's a really old book from like 1988. Read this when I was a baby believer. Um, but uh, he says this. But the one lesson we learn from all available sources, talking about looking through back through church history, is that there is no, quote, quick fix to the human condition. The approach to wholeness for humankind is a process of great length and difficulty that engages all our own powers to their fullest extent over a long course of experience. But we don't like to hear this. We are somewhat misled by the reports of experiences of a great many spiritual leaders, and we assign their greatness to these great moments they were given. We look at somebody it's like, wow, look at what they did, neglecting the years of slow progress that endured before then. And then he says this as well. Today, around every corner stands someone hawking wisdom and goodness on easy terms. But this is not what history and experience teach. Such instant wisdom is just another expression of our modern hedonistic ideology fueled by our constitutional right for personal happiness. Somehow we think that virtue should come easily. Experience teaches the contrary, that almost everything worth doing in human life is very difficult in its early stages, and the good we are aiming at is never available at first to strengthen us when we need it most. So what is he saying there? You start in this process of transformation, and after you're doing it for a couple weeks, you're thinking, man, I should be there. I should just be so patient right now because I've been working on this for two weeks. What's the problem? And what Willard is saying is that the world has had years and years of forming us, of making us the kind of people that we are. And that kind of reforming and becoming more like Christ is going to be a process as well. So we need to recognize that permanent transformation, it takes time. In Hebrews 10.14 says this, For by one sacrifice Christ has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And it's a verse I've said over and over because I love the beauty of that verse. It says, by one sacrifice we're made perfect. We're accepted by God, right? We are, because of the righteousness of Christ, acceptable in the sight of God. The punishment has been paid. But then he goes on to say, but this process of becoming holy, that's going to take some time. We are in this process of becoming holy, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the other. In 1 Timothy 4.15, Paul's talking to his young protege, and he says, let everybody see your progress. So what's the point there? The point is Timothy is here, and in two years, Paul's hoping he's here, and he wants that to be evident to everybody. So the reality is we're all in this process of becoming more like Christ. And we need to recognize that that process is very rarely instantaneous. I know there are stories out there that somebody comes to Christ and they've had a problem with alcohol or porn or whatever it is that God instantly takes that away. That's wonderful if that happens. But the vast, vast majority of people I talk to, it's not that easy, right? It's a slug. It's a journey. It's a, dang, I hate this about me. Help me. And it stumbles and falls. And the reality is, James says, you know, we all stumble in many ways. And he's talking to believers. So the point is, you come to Christ, recognize that it's going to take some time to work out a lot of the world that has been worked in to us. Paul in Philippians says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling 
For God is at work within you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. That tension is there. Work it out. He doesn't say earn your salvation. He says your salvation is there. Then begin to work that out and to recognize that I have to participate in this process and it's going to take some time. And I think we really need to recognize that because sometimes the enormity of that task is just really daunting. We look at Jesus and we look at how he interacted with others in the world and we look at our lives and we're like, man, ain't no way I'm ever going to get there. And what this encourages me is like, okay, I don't have to be all the way there right away. Yeah, I'm struggling to love my enemies. And maybe God is saying, okay, let's start with just loving the people close to you. How are you treating your spouse? How are you treating your friends? How are you treating your coworkers, right? Let's begin there and then we'll begin to work on these other things. But to think, okay, we're going to be able to love our enemies with perfection right away, I don't think is realistic. And the, the reality is oftentimes in Scripture, they'll, Paul and the writer of Hebrews will use this metaphor. He says, train Timothy, train yourself for godliness or discipline yourself for godliness. And in Hebrews it says these people have had their minds trained you know, to discern good and evil. And that word train there is the word we get gymnasium from. It's like, okay, it's going to take some effort, right? Train yourself for godliness. And godliness, what, what does that mean? I think that means God-likeness, Christ-likeness. And, and Paul is saying to Timothy, there's going to be some effort, some training required for this to happen. And we've talked about this before, but if you're planning on running a marathon, maybe you're one of those crazy runner types, you know, even if you're a crazy runner type, you still require months of training to get ready to run a marathon. You just don't get up one morning and say, man, I'm really feeling it. Today I'm going to run a marathon. You know, and if you're like me, you get like a mile and a half and your knees are hurt and you're like, oh, forget it, this is never going to happen. But training says, okay, maybe you're not in that marathon shape yet, but maybe you can start with, let's run a 1K today. And then there's this process over time of doing things you can do ultimately to do something you can't do. And I think that's this process of spiritual disciplines. It starts small, but it enables us ultimately to be able to do what we cannot do yet and to recognize that this is a process. C.S. Lewis says, you know, we're all going to arrive at home, at heaven, but when we get there, we're all going to be very dirty after many stumbles and falls. And he said, the only fatal thing is to give up, is to give up. So if you're in this process and you say, man, I want to be a lot more like Jesus because he is just really compelling. I want to live life like he lived life. I want to be full of love and joy and peace and kind of be unflappable in the midst of everything that goes on in life and respond to people as he responded to people, but I'm not there yet. Don't give up. Recognize that this is a process, but recognize it's going to require your participation in that process. So give yourself some time and give yourself some grace as you walk this process out And another thing, give some grace to your brothers and sisters in Christ as well. I'm seeing this pattern in the church, and and I don't know if it's social media driven, but if anybody ever makes a mistake or they say something that's not quite in line with exactly what you believe, man, it's just like, 
you know, guns blazing, just taking that person down, and it's like without ever talking to him, without ever, it's like, no, we need to recognize that, okay, we're all in this becoming more Christ-like process, and so what does that mean? That none of us are there yet, right? Remember Paul and Barnabas, they're going on a missionary journey, they bring John Mark along, all right, John Mark, he bails, and so next time they go, I was like, I don't want this guy with us, you know? And Paul goes on, and Barnabas and John Mark go another way, and it's like, okay, they're not quite where they need to be yet, right? But I love it. At the end, Paul says, hey, send me John Mark because he's really necessary for me in my ministry. So that process of transformation, we even see it in the apostles. Paul had to call out Peter, right? Because he was not eating with the Gentiles anymore. And he says, that's, that's not right, man. And we look at Peter's life, right? And it's like Peter was a mess, constantly putting his foot in the mouth. Denies Christ three times, right? When he said, oh, everybody else may bail on you, Jesus, but I'm your man. And then Jesus is like, oh, really? <laughs> Tonight, three times you're going to bail on me. You're going to deny that you even know me. But then what does Christ do in his life? On that beach, it says there was a charcoal fire going there. And I think that brings Peter back to that night where he denied Christ around a charcoal fire. And Jesus asked him what? Three times. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And there's all sorts of debate what these is. Is it the fish and fishing? I think it's probably these other disciples because he said, oh, everybody else denies you. I'm your man. And Jesus is like, oh, really? You, you love me more than these guys, huh? And he said, Jesus, you know I love me. I love you. You know I love you. And at the third time, he was hurt, right? Because he knew what Jesus was, was doing. He's restoring him gently. And so to recognize that we are going to stumble, we're going to fall, that's part of the process. Don't give up and don't fail to start because it seems so insurmountable to become like Christ. So lasting transformation takes time. Recognize we live in the midst of a culture where if it's not instant or really soon, it's not really good, right? Two-day delivery. Wow, I've got to wait two days? I need one-day delivery, right? I need same-day delivery, right? And, and we've just been trained that everything has to happen in like a half a millisecond, right? But that's not the process of transformation. If transformation is going to be lasting, it's going to require some time. Second point, permanent transformation is also going to take a team, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work within you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So to me, the main team member that we need to recognize is the Holy Spirit in this process. Jesus said something in John. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? And I look at that and it's like, wow, that's not how I go through life. <laughs> I can do a lot of things, right? But I think what he's saying there is, apart from me, you can do nothing of lasting significance and change, and you're becoming more like the image of God in Jesus Christ. And so to recognize, you know, we have this resources in, in us, but we have to access that resource. If I just, on my own, and I think many of us have tried, just I'm going to just gut this out, I'm going to become what? less envious, less jealous, less gossipy, less lustful, less concerned with money. You know, I'm just going to do it. And oftentimes that leads us to fall flat on our face and recognize as we go to Christ, Christ, I want to become this, but it's got to be your spirit that works in me in transforming me.
We live in a do-it-yourself world, right? You can YouTube how to do anything. And it's awesome when you're trying to fix your car or put CV axles on. Yeah, it's, it's great. You know, there's step-by-step process on everything. That's wonderful. But that makes us, I think, a, just feel and we're told from a, a young age, you know, you're everything, you can do everything. And that's oftentimes how we approach our walk with God. I'm just going to do better. And it's like, okay, I don't have the ability to change myself from the inside out. And God is gracious and patient, and in that process, he allows us to fall flat on our face. And sometimes, you know, you think you've gotten something really dialed in on your life, and then all of a sudden, well, bam! And it's like, whoa, what, what do I do with that? And I think that's just a reminder from God. It's like, yeah, you think you can do this on your own? Still, every day you need my grace and mercy as much as the day that you came to me. So recognize that you are not in this alone. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. It's his power that gives us what we need to transform and be changed from the inside out. And also in addition, we talked about this last year was the importance of community in this process. Yes, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is part of our team, but also my brothers and sisters here are meant to be part of the team. And I can't tell you how many times where I was feeling discouraged and it would be a call or a note or an email or a text for somebody that said, okay, hang in there, stay in the game, don't give up, don't bail, because all of us live in this broken world and there's a pressure when I said, ah, Paul says, don't get weary in doing good. Why does, what does that mean? That means oftentimes doing good is wearying, right? We do good and we expect, boy, great job. And you hear nothing and you're like, oh, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. It's like, okay, why am I doing this? Maybe that helps me look at my motives, but also to recognize that an encouraging word from one of our brothers and sisters is really, really significant and important in keeping us in this game, promoting and moving us towards permanent transformation of our lives. And then lasting transformation or permanent transformation, it's going to take determined effort on our part. And this is the part we don't like as believers, right? In 1 Timothy 4, and as I mentioned this before, Paul says to Timothy, train or, depending on your translation, discipline yourself for godliness. And that's that word gymnastics. It's, it's exercise. It's put some effort into godliness. And who does he say? He doesn't say, you know, sometimes I hear, let go and let God. Hey, if I'm going to become a more whatever person, I'm just, God's going to have to do it because I can't change myself. So I'm just going to hang out here. But what does Paul say to Timothy? Train yourself for godliness. So there's something that he's calling Timothy to do himself, to train himself to become more Christ-like, to become formed more into the image of Jesus Christ. Someone has said, without God, we can't. But without us, he won't. God wants us to participate in this process of transformation. And if you look at this, to me, it's like, Effort God's part, effort my part, maybe effort God's part, 98% effort my part, 2%, but the reality is God wants that 2%, and he's not going to change me against my will, right? I'm going to need to invest in this process to discipline myself, and I think we recognize this in every area of life, right? Other than sometimes the spiritual life. 
Because if you're going to learn an instrument, you recognize, man, there's a lot of times just playing scales, up and down, memorizing them, all different, you know, or if you're practicing to be an artist, it's going to require a lot of, what, practice, determination, effort. If you're going to be a great athlete, it's going to take effort. If you're going to be a great pilot, it's going to take investment mentally and physically, learning all, and we recognize all of those things, it's not just going to happen to us, right? But somehow we often think that in the Christian life, we should just kick back and God should just make us holy over time. But the reality is, unless we're willing to participate in that, I don't think there's going to be transformation. The author of Hebrews says, you know, by this time, y'all should be chewing on steaks but you need a bottle. So the point is that they were not availing themselves of what was necessary to grow and to be transformed. And the author of Hebrews lays it right on there. It's like, okay, this, you had some role in this. And so what do we need to do to discipline ourselves or to train ourselves for godliness? And that's the challenge, right? How, how do I become like Christ? What what things am I to do with life? Uh, in Galatians 6, 8, Paul says this, He who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And it's a really interesting, it's a farming metaphor, right? So you can sow to your flesh the things that you want to do. If you want to do all that you want to do all the time, okay, that's a way of living, but Paul says that's ultimately going to result in destruction in your life. And for many of us, we've gone down that path and we've tasted a little bit of that. And it's like, okay, that's true. That's, that's right. But then he says, if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. And again, it's not life just at the end, but it's that presence of Christ's life in my life right now. And I need to sow to the Spirit. And it's the idea of placing myself, I'm sowing, and then I'm not responsible the growth, but I am responsible for the sowing. So what is that sowing? What is the gymnasium? I think, and as we've talked about this as elders, it's a lot of what they call spiritual disciplines, the classic practices of Christianity. And, you know, Dallas Willard says that we're not going to experience the life of Christ unless we are willing to live the lifestyle of Christ. And to me, as elders, we've looked at this and said, you know what, as, as we look at Jesus Christ, what were those practices that were present in his life that everybody saw that he seemed to think were super important in his fully connecting with the Father and abiding in the Father's love and walking out this life? And so we've begun to look at those, and we started this process last year. And the first discipline we looked at or practiced was prayer. I encourage you, if you want to go back, you can look on our website and, and get that. And then the second practice that we looked at was community, that we're called to function as this together. And the practice I'm going to look at the next couple weeks is, is silence and solitude. And for those of you um, like Chris Kelly, you're going to struggle a little bit with this practice, right? Some of you, like other people, you're introverts, like, oh, I'm loving this practice. But there's, there's a balance, right? And as we look at Christ's life, one of the things he regularly did, what was to get away from people. He's off, getting away, and it's like, and then his disciples come, like, man, everybody's clamoring for you. And he's like, okay, it's time to move on, right? So he seemed regularly to kind of move from community to solitude, from community 
to solitude. So as we look at this, we're saying, okay, what were the things that Christ actually did in his life that seemed to be super significant for him being transformed? And we say, Christ being transformed? What? He grew in wisdom and in stature and favor before God and man. There were things that Christ practiced in his humanity that kept him connected with the Father. Yes, he was sinless, but there were still things that he did regularly that allowed the Father's life to flow through him and out of him. He says, I don't do anything that the Father doesn't tell me to do. I don't say anything that the Father doesn't tell me to stay. And so again, it's like, what can we do? It's not like, okay, I come to Christ and then, okay, I'm going to heaven, good. And in the meantime, I guess I'll just do kind of what I want to do. The reality is we're going to need to invest in certain disciplines, practices, if we're going to experience transformation. And then the fourth point is permanent transformation or lasting transformation takes an inspiring vision or goal, right? You don't start on an exercise program without a goal ahead, right? It's like, okay, this is, you put the, you know, the, picture of the person crossing the marathon finish line up on the wall and you say okay this is this is where I'm gonna go or the picture of the guy with six-pack abs and it's like okay that's that's where I want to want to be and that's the motivator that keeps you in the discipline or the practice of exercising because if that's not where you really focus and want to get there if there's something else more important when that third piece of carrot cake comes up it's like yeah, six-pack abs, who really cares that much about those? You know, this is right before me. This is what I want more. And I think as I look at Christianity, evangelicals have kind of put all our eggs in this, if I just have more information, then I'm going to be changed. And, and I've seen in people's lives, if the heart and the head are in a battle, the heart's going to win every time. Every time. And so to me, the important thing is to get my head and heart aligned to say, you know what, I really want to become like Jesus. He's amazing in how he responds to others in life. I want to have that kind of character. I want to be as loving and as gracious as he is, as merciful and as kind, as, as kind of unaffected by other people's attitudes as he is, just to do what is right, whether he hears it from the right or from the left, he's willing to do what is right. I want that. I want to live in that kind of peace and joy. That's my motivation. I want to become like that. But if that's not our highest motivation, then we'll get in this process and it's like, yeah, that's be okay if that happens. But you know, my ticket's punched, you know, I'll get to heaven A, so I'm not going to really invest that much in this. But to recognize, man, living the life of Christ in this life is a really beautiful thing. And we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount saying, man, my life is not going to be controlled by anger, by lust, by anxiety over the future and what's going to happen. I'm just going to live in the presence of God, and I want that. And that's just an amazing thing, and it's a vision, and it's a goal that's worth striving for. But if you're not there yet, I think there's some encouraging news because we can do things that will kind of shape our desire and our heart and move it in a direction. Neuroscientists say that our brains, what they call neuroplasticity. There's certain ways that if we begin to think in particular ways, 
our synapses line up in our brain and it forms this like wires this neural pathway and then it's easier and easier to move in that direction. So I'll just give you an example from my life. My wife is from Germany, right? And in Germany, they just don't eat as much sugar as we do. They eat a ton of, you know, heavier things, but in terms of fats, but sugar is not. And so she came over here and it's like, she'd taste our sweets, like, oh, this is like way too sweet. And so through the years, I have developed this, whoa, this is way too sweet. And before it was like, oh, I love, this is super, super sweet. But right now, just, I cannot eat like a regular yogurt in this country anymore. And the first time I had like unsweetened Greek yogurt, I was like, oh, this is awful. <laughs> Who would want to eat? But now I can like, it's like, oh, this tastes really good. Why? Because my desires have now changed as I've participated in this process. And I think there's a beauty there. The more that I invest in focusing on Christ and doing the things that he's calling me to do, I think my heart aligns more with him and I want to do what he wants me to do. Because we'll often think of these practices like, oh, I got to get up and I got to pray and I got Okay, and that's what Willard says. At the beginning, this is oftentimes hard, right? It takes some effort and there's not an immediate payback. But I can tell you now through the years of practicing some of this stuff, it does get easier and more delightful over time. I want to spend time with my father. It's not, oh, I have to get up and I have to, and it's like, oh, you're the pastor, dude. It's like, well, I'm just a regular dude, right? <laughs> I have this position, but my humanity is the same as yours. And recognizing, you know, there are certain things that I didn't want to do that now I have disciplined myself. I have committed to practicing this that then now has become, this is a joy in my, I want this to be part of my life. And then hopefully the Lord is using those things to begin to form my character more and more like Christ. And am I there yet? No. We've all got a long way to go. Thomas Merton says, you know, none of us want to admit it, but we're all beginners in this process, right? No matter how far you get down the path, you recognize you're still a beginner. And I'm a beginner in a lot of this stuff. But I think it's, it's really, really important to recognize that if I'm going to move forward, it's going to require some effort on my part and some discipline. But that can be a beautiful thing over time. And as we look at some of the disciplines, to me, I want to focus on those that you can see Jesus practicing in his life. Because someone says, you know, a lot of these disciplines are developed by medieval monks. You know, I don't have, you know, 18 hours a day to sit around and whatever. You know, I've got a job or I've got kids or, you know, whatever it is that, okay, you got to recognize the season of your life and be realistic about that. But I think, what am I doing to invest in this relationship with Jesus that I say is important. And so that's, I guess, my challenge this morning. And to recognize as well that, you know, as you go forward in this process, it's going to be a process. There's going to be stumbles. There's going to be falls. It's not going to be this linear, woo, everything's good all the time. No. But to me, to recognize if you're there and it's like, man, I really, as I look honestly at my life, I don't see a lot of transformation. I probably should be chewing on some steak right now, but, you know, that's, I just don't have the ability to do that. And that's the start. It's like, okay, that's okay. And to recognize, okay, what can I do right now? And again, to me, you look at Jesus' time in prayer, time in community with other believers, and then 
this whole practice of silence and solitude, which is really countercultural to us, right? Because now we've got something in our pocket that all the time is on, right? There's never a moment where I cannot be amused. Waiting in line, wherever I am, I can pick it out, I can listen to a YouTube, I can read a book. It's always there. And so this practice of just being alone and thinking about life and where I am, you know, that's frightening for some people. It's like, uh, you know, I can't remember if it's Socrates or Plato. One of those guys, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. But I think there's a lot of people, we have the ability to constantly be entertained or distracted so that we never really have to think deeply about who we are, where we're going, what we're trying to become. And it's just real easy when we're going in that direction just to be morphed and formed into the image of the world. That's just, that's just how it is. And so I think there's got to be some practices that we implement in our lives as Christians if we're going to really want to change and be more like Jesus. And the goal, again, of all of this is for us to know God and to be transformed into his image. And that's one of the dangers of the practices, that you begin to think the practice is the end. No, the practice is not what you're driving for. The practice is a means to an end of knowing Christ and being transformed by him. The practice is that way in which we sow to the Spirit. I'm saying, okay, God, I'm here. I can't change myself, but I'm here. I'm in a place where I want to receive from you and acknowledge that you got to do that work in my life, but I am here and want that to happen. And I think the Lord wants that for us as well. In 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul says, The goal of my instruction. So why does he teach? Why does he share? So that people are able to answer the Bible quiz and get no. He says, the goal of my instruction is love. From a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. The goal of all of this is so that we become loving people like Jesus Christ and that we know our loving Savior. And anything less, or if it moves us to, oh, I'm praying a little bit more than, than you. When was the last time you fasted? Took a three days of silence and solitude. God and I pretty tight, huh? And you're like, oh, I'm a mom with three kids. I, if I get 15 minutes of solitude when I'm in the bathroom, that's an amazing thing for me. And it's not, no, this is not, okay, I'm better than you, or, but it's, I want to become more like Jesus. And that's going to require some investment on my part. And I recognize that. I want that, and I want to put myself in a place where the Holy Spirit can begin to work in me and transform me. And if I never do that, then I don't think I can expect this change and growth to happen in my life. And we all know probably believers that have been believers for a long, long time, but man, they're ornery, crotchety, you don't want to talk to them, they're judgment, all that kind of stuff. It's like, that's the reality. It can happen in a believer's life, and it's like, I don't want that to happen to me. Jesus, I, you're beautiful, and I want to be more like you, and, and I want to invest what I can to become like that. So that's why we're focusing periodically in the church on these ancient practices of Jesus. And again, it runs counter to our culture where we want everything quickly and we want it without any effort. And, you know, especially in the Protestant world, it's like, no, this is smacks of legalism and works. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what we're doing to invest to be changed by the Holy Spirit. Are we giving him space in our life for that to happen? So that's what we're going to be talking about the next couple weeks. 
And again, I'd encourage you if you want to go back and listen to some of the stuff that we talked about with prayer and community. It's just really important because Jesus doesn't want us to stay babes. He wants us to grow up. And I think we're living in the midst of a culture that looks at Christianity and says, you know, that it's not transformative. I see them. They're just the same as, as everybody else. And I think part of that is because what we're being taught is you got your ticket, you're good, just don't worry about how you live your life. And to me, to trust Christ means that I'm trusting him in this moment, not just for what's ahead. And to recognize, you know, he's calling me to this beautiful life now, not just then. He wants to transform me now so that I'm his ambassador and represent him well to those people around me in life right now. And to me, that's an awesome vision and goal for my life. That's the picture on the wall that keeps me, ah, I don't want to do any sit-ups. It's like, okay, <laughs> no, you know, this, this is what I want to be like. And I'm, I'm not there yet, but with God's help, I can get there. And with the help of my brothers and sisters. So let's be a body that pushes in. Let's be God's gymnasium here. Not where it's a grudging effort, but where that's like, okay, this is what I want, and I'm willing to invest in something that's significant and important. Let's pray. Father, we all want to change, but uh, it's hard, and it's easy for us to lose motivation and to just kind of go with the flow. It's so much easier to just settle. So, Lord, help us. Lord, we can't change ourselves. We recognize that, but, Lord, I know you want us to seek, to push into, to press on, to exert effort to know you and to be changed by you. So as we look at these practices, I just pray that you would, on one side, protect us from legalism and just uh, self-righteous judgmentalism, but also protect us from the just kind of laissez-faire, whatever. If God's going to change me, he's going to change me. That we would uh, just have that balance in our lives. And as we look at these practices, Lord, help each person here to hear from you what works in their life right now, where they can start, where they can begin to invest energy to be transformed by you. So Lord, we thank you that you are with us in this process, that you are with us to the very end of the age. You've promised never to leave us and never to forsake us, that you are the one ultimately that transforms us from the inside out. But Lord, we want to put ourselves in a place where that just is more likely to happen. So, Lord, help us to do that. Thanks for this new year. And again, we pray for so many that uh, can't be with us this morning that you would encourage them that together, Lord, we would grow into a world that desperately needs the touch of Jesus, that we more and more would be able to, to give that touch because you have touched and transformed us. And it's in Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen. Amen.